Get the little ones, sit back, relax, and listen to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. The Red Panda Chronicles. Ignition Point, Part One, September, nineteen thirty-nine. The man's name was Robert Joseph Brown, but it had been a long time since anyone had called him that. The last person to do so had been a judge. The first time he had been sentenced for vagrancy. Brown still remembered looking up to the bench, barely able to meet the man's gaze and the fierce fire of contempt that had blazed in his eyes. The judge was practically swimming in his great black robes. He had been lean and gaunt, more so than Brown himself, though it was not poverty that ate away at him. He had sentenced Brown to thirty days' detention, as though he had been giving candy to a deeply unworthy child. That pronouncement was the last time that Robert Joseph Brown had heard his own name spoken, in part because it was the last time he had ever told it to anyone. Since then, he'd had more names than he could possibly recall, in little towns and labor camps, in bread lines and soup kitchens. He had seen a great deal in ten lost years. He had done things he never could have imagined, things he had needed to do to survive, and he had done none of them, under the name of Robert Joseph Brown. Digger, a voice hissed, echoing through the empty space. Sound bouncing off brick and concrete, all stripped to the bare walls, hidden deep in the shadows. Digger, where did you go? Over here, Brown called, stepping into a shaft of moonlight, gesturing with his hands for the kid to keep his voice down. He wasn't exactly a kid, but he was young, and he was new to the street. Brown had made the mistake of helping him out, and now he was saddled with him. The kid spooked too easily, and it would probably get them into trouble before long. How's about a fire, huh, Digger? The kid asked, and Brown could hear the grin on his face before he could see it. Fire means light, and light brings trouble. A fire means heat, the kid argued, and that's better than freezing to death. What are you going to do when winter comes? Brown snorted. You need to toughen up. Relax, would you? The kid still sounded pleased with himself. Will you look what I found? Brown sighed. He was a good kid, but he was always full of plans. Always an angle. He hadn't given up yet. That was his problem. Maybe it was Brown's problem as well. We don't need trouble, Brown growled. We kip out in this old factory tonight, and tomorrow we'll try to get on that freight south. Get somewhere warm before the snow comes. Oh, we'll be warm enough. The kid was beaming now. Look at what I found over here. Brown shook his head, but followed deeper into the semi-darkness. This old building had been stripped of anything of value years ago. The wind howled through the glassless windows, but it was still something like shelter, and they should be glad to have that. The two men stepped into what looked like it once might have been a loading dock. The wooden floor creaked beneath their feet, carrying up to the roof high above, which looked to be more or less intact. In here, the kid waved, walking through an arched doorway. There was something. A smell. Nice, huh? The kid waved his arms. The room was deep and wide, and it had been piled up with wood. Nice dry logs. 
Some of it looked like it had been cut for a fireplace. Some of it was in the form of large dead branches that must have been dragged in through a door Brown could not see. None of it belonged here, and none of it made sense. What is this? Brown growled. I'll tell you what it is, it's our lucky day, the kid beamed. Brown ran his hand over the nearest pile of wood. There was something on it, something that left his fingers greasy. He sniffed his hand and realized what the smell he had been trying to place was. Kerosene, he muttered. Kid, we gotta get out of here. There was only silence in reply. Brown's heart sank. Kid, he said to no one. He felt a crack like lightning on the back of his head and fell forward onto his hands. He had been hit with a sap before, and he knew this was a good one. His eyes began to tunnel over. It was just the two of them, said a voice he did not know that sounded very far away. What do we do? There was a moment's pause, and Brown struggled to regain his senses. Light it up, a different voice replied. Moments later, the fire the kid had wanted was licking at the fuel, and soon enough it blazed to the heavens. Brown lay where he fell, knowing there would be no monument, and no one to tell anyone what it should say. Robert Joseph Brown At the breakfast table, there was an urgent snapping of newspapers, and it had been going on for quite some time. August Fenwick peered over his own daily to the source of the sound, a smallish red-headed woman of whom he was extremely fond, who was almost entirely buried in out-of-town papers, none of which seemed to be telling her what she wanted to know. "'Are you looking for something in particular, darling?' he asked at last. "'You know what I'm looking for, Gus,' Kit Baxter Fenwick said, wrinkling up her nose and trying to look stern at her husband and crime-fighting partner. The Red Panda and the Flying Squirrel had been keeping their usual hours, and the breakfast things remained at large far later than they might in other stately mansions. But this sort of conduct had become much less scandalous since the master of the house had married, and the staff barely noticed any more. "'I'm not sure that I do,' he frowned. She looked startled. "'We blew up an Aztec pyramid, Peach Pit,' she said, waving her newspaper in the air in a slightly frantic manner. "'Yes, well,' Fenwick said, leaning back in his chair and gazing down the hallway to be certain that none of the servants were within earshot. "'No need to advertise it.' "'An Aztec pyramid,' she repeated excitedly. "'Not a small one, either. "'And a hundred Nazi dinosaurs and their riders, and I don't know what else.' "'Did you really expect to find any of that in the newspapers?' Fenwick said, taking a sip of his coffee, which had grown stone cold. "'Even if they believed it, or understood it, or if it happened slightly closer than Mexico—' "'This is a Mexican paper,' Kit said, waving a nearby tabloid in the air. "'You read Spanish now?' He seemed genuinely surprised. She folded her hands demurely and did not meet his gaze. "'This has, admittedly, been slowing things down a little. "'Aha!' I'm pretty sure that I could understand the words explode, pyramid, or dinosaur if I saw them, she protested. It's old news, Kit, he said with a shake of his head. Hitler invaded Poland, France and Britain declared war, and the only other news you're going to find in the paper are scandalized opinion pieces complaining that Canada hasn't made its own declaration yet. And how did you get a Mexican newspaper? The same way you have been getting things all of your life, she said with a wry smile. I asked the butler, and it magically appeared. Ah, touché, he agreed. They have no idea, she said, shaking her head at the pile of papers. The only part of this war we might have had a shot at winning is over. 
and a lot of good people are gone, and they don't even know. They think it's just beginning. August Fenwick's eyes gleamed with an intensity that no one who knew him would recognize. It was the fire and drive of his older ego, his true self who wore Fenwick like a mask. The Red Panda and the Flying Squirrel only played a small part in the occult war, Kit, he said evenly. It's a wonder that we were there at the final moments, and even more incredible that we survived it. Not all of us did, she said quietly. He nodded and said nothing. Maxwell Falcone seemed to think that whatever came next would be up to us, she said. I guess I'm trying to get my head around that. He nodded again. Perhaps I am as well, he agreed with a small gesture to his own newspaper. War coverage, she said with a grimace. Our own private war, I suppose, he said, holding up the page of the Daily Chronicle that read local crime. When all else fails, go back to what you know. He shrugged and jabbed at an article. Vagrants cause fire, perish in blaze. Kit did not sound at all convinced. Doesn't sound like much to me. I imagine it was for the vagrants, he suggested gently, casting aside his smoking jacket and moving with urgency toward the door. Let's see what we can find out. The day was gray, and the air hung with the promise of a season that was yet to come. Across the city, even those who still had a roof over their heads looked to the sky and shuddered, wondering how long they could wait before placing an order of coal. The last ten years had made a cynic of many a man, and an early fall would do nothing to change that. A heavy figure in a long coat stumbled over the rough terrain toward the broken and blackened shell of the still-smoking building. The fire crews were gone. The police had been and left like tourists, taking photos of the two bodies that had been discovered, and now all of them were gone. Everything was gone, except for a few short sections of brick that had not completely collapsed under the fury of the blaze or the efforts to extinguish it. They still stood, like blackened sentinels which the man in the coat must pass. The ruined factory looked deserted. But he knew better. He staggered up what remained of a set of iron stairs which were warped and twisted by the heat. He puffed and wiped his forehead with his handkerchief. The day was cold, but he was sweating, and with good reason. The ruins rose above him as he neared them, stabbing into the sky like blackened knives. There were places where the first-floor walls were almost intact, casting long shadows even in the middle of the day. That was surely where he would be found, the man in the coat thought to himself. James Hall, a voice that was everywhere and nowhere rang out suddenly. The man in the coat gasped and leaned heavily against a section of wall which protested the strain by sending a cascade of pebbles to the cement floor below. Don't do that, huh? You're going to give me a coronary. An innocent man need not fear the red panda, James Hall. The voice resolved itself into the shape of a man, still more shadow and wraith than anything human. From below the rim of the hat, Hall could see the red of the domino mask, a single blaze of color dominated by the dull glow of a pair of blank, white eyes. Don't do that, Hall protested, his heart in his throat. The shape seemed to pause and cocked his head as if curious. Hall felt emboldened. Don't talk to me like a perp. I came here to help and you're trying to intimidate me. Is it working, Jimmy? Another voice sang in a mocking tone. Hall turned his head and looked up his newfound courage pouring out of him, knowing what he would find. The flying squirrel was there, on top of the wall in a low crouch, grinning like a maniac. 
Her cat suit did little to hide the fact that she was deeply distracting in her own right, but James Hall couldn't think about any of that, no matter how hard he tried. The big guy was scary, but this one was just mean. Don't start with me, squirrel, Hall said with a jab of his index finger, which he was sure she could see was trembling as badly as the rest of him. I didn't have to come down here. Didn't you? The red panda's voice was closer now, and the man himself loomed above James Hall, who had never thought of himself as a small person. He took a breath and tried to change the subject. The ignition point is through here, Hall said, pointing. We've seen it, the girl's voice sounded amused. Do you really think this was a hobo campfire? It isn't my case, Hall said with a shake of his head. There were bodies. There was a tremendous amount of heat, the red panda said, the lenses in his mask flashing as if he was seeing something that Hall could not. Someone wanted to be sure that this building came down. That's not what the report says, Hall shook his head. We have also seen the report, the red panda was stern. Imagine our disappointment, the squirrel said, cracking her knuckles. In what? Hall asked, legitimately confused. In you, James Hall, the man in the mask said, sending shivers up Hall's spine. We allowed you to remain free and to serve as an informant, on the understanding that your days of supporting fraud and arson were behind you. Two men died here. Two men who lit the fire that made it happen, Hall protested. That makes it accidental, not arson, and certainly not an insurance job. Everyone agrees that the fire was lit in one of the few places in the building without a concrete floor. The girl on the wall was already counting on her fingers, suggesting there was a list coming, and Hall fought to keep himself from interrupting. There was a massive pile of fuel, enough for a month of campfires or more, and no one is arguing that an accelerant was used to get things started. Hall shrugged. They weren't smart, he said. Now they're dead. You'd be surprised how often those things go hand in hand. The report says the wood was cut into cordwood length, the red panda growled. Why would vagrants go to that trouble? I never said they cut it. I said they burned it and it burned them, Hall was bolder than before. I get what you think I did. And you aren't wrong that I did it before, but there's no fraud here. This is not an insurance fire. How can you be so certain, the red panda asked. Because this building wasn't insured, Hall said like a magician expecting applause. The two masked heroes looked at one another and said nothing. This was a perfectly salvageable property, the red panda seemed baffled. It was abandoned, Hall pounced. This factory hadn't done a day's work since 29. It was only a matter of time. This happens every year. It gets cold and folks start looking for a place. Any place. And things like this just happen. I know this fire made the papers because they found two bodies, but you gotta believe me, Red Panda. This fire wasn't any different than any of the others. There was a moment of silence as the two masked heroes exchanged another look. The Red Panda turned back to James Hall. What do you mean by the others? He asked. This is Jack Ward, and from every one of us here at the Mutual Audio Network, we wish you, your family, and all your friends safe harbor during these difficult times. Please follow the scientific and medical experts' advice, and we'll always be here for you daily at Mutual.